Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 130. Packers, Bears, Lambeau Field, and a trip to the playoffs is on the line for Green Bay. They win, and they are in it for the whole enchilada. This is it, folks. This is what it's all about. One game. There is no tomorrow. This is for the whole Magilla, for the whole ball of wax, for the whole kitten caboodle, for the whole enchilada, the whole shooting match. This is for all the marbles. At John Candy said it best. It's going to be a showdown, and it's going to be a tough game, you would think. The Packers have been playing better. The Bears have been playing better. Justin Fields is taking shots at Green Bay. That happened yesterday. We'll talk about that clip coming up. All right, doesn't get bigger than this for Green Bay, especially for a young team, first-year starting quarterback. They're in the same spot they were in last year at this time. Let's hope for a different result from that Packers-Lions game a year ago. We'll also talk about the Bucks. We've got a Pacers problem, everybody. I didn't think we did, but we do. They lose again in Indiana. It's the second loss to the Pacers this week. They've lost four of five games this year to Indiana. Like 60% of their losses as a team are to Indiana. We'll break that down after a disappointing night in Indiana. The Bucks are on national TV tonight taking on the birthday boy, Victor Wembignano, Wemby, and the Spurs on TNT. We'll touch a little bit on college hoops, and we'll make some picks, of course. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! We're going to smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a tentacle ball, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. All right, before we get into all of the Packers stuff and the Jair audio and the Justin Fields audio and all that kind of stuff, I was talking about this on the air on Thursday. Well, today's Thursday. We're doing the podcast a day early. I have off on Friday. So I must have been talking about this on the B93 Morning Show on Wednesday. Tuesday night, I don't know who follows Barstool Sports or Jersey Jerry, who is a Pittsburgh personality in that sports network. We do use this clip once in a while. This is a Jersey Jerry clip. This is a catastrophe. We could be using that on Monday if things don't go right for the Packers at Lambeau Field on Sunday. Well, the Barstool Sports headquarters, they must have installed some state-of-the-art golf simulator. Golf simulators now, by the way, are just wild to me. When my dad was working at Maple Lanes in Sheboygan, And a lot of bowling alleys around 1998, 99, 2000, as a way to supplement some income, they would install golf simulators if they had room in their bar. Because then you can draw on the bowling crowd and the golfing crowd. That's all kind of the same crowd, the volleyball crowd. They installed that, I want to say 2000, maybe. I want to say I was a junior in high school. And we went over there and used it, and we were blown away. It was very rudimentary graphics, and that's probably putting it mildly. 
didn't quite look like N64, but kind of. But just the fact that you could hit a ball into a screen and then the ball on the screen went somewhere blew our minds. Technology has come a lot further in the golf simulator world. They installed this new, brand new, state-of-the-art golf simulator where you can play, it looks like, every major course in the U.S. And Jersey Jerry started a stream on Tuesday night. And he said, I am going to stay on this live stream until I get a hole-in-one. I think he thought, and maybe I would have thought the same thing. Now that I've seen this play out in terrifying fashion for him, maybe now I would think differently. But, you know, it's a, it's a video game. It feels like golf simulators are a video game. And you would just think, odds are, at some point, you'd be able to hit a hole-in-one. Well, as the hours went by Tuesday night, an hour and after hour after hour, I kind of checked out around 10 o'clock. I wake up to get ready for the morning show on Wednesday, and I just peruse Twitter like I always do. And it's still going. And he's eight or nine hours, ten hours into it. I thought, my God, he's really sticking to this. And as the day went on, I was watching it kind of behind the scenes during the B93 morning show. And then afterwards, as I was having lunch, and it just kept on going into the afternoon. He had a couple of really close calls where he was an inch or two away from getting in, but didn't get it. That's what she said. And it got really tight, but he didn't get it. Then, as you would expect, after 18 hours of swinging... His body starts to break down. His back is crumbling. He held his hand up to the camera on the live stream. Blood seeping through his golf gloves. Because, of course, he took like, and he's still going now. But at that point, he had taken like 2,500 strokes in the course of, that's what she said, in the course of, there's a lot of double entendre opportunity. I didn't realize that until we started down this path. But you would assume anybody who's golfed multiple rounds in a day, you get your hands start to break down. And he has now had the equivalent of like 25 rounds of golf in 24 hours. I guess they let him sleep last night, but this is his thing now. And he's up to 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is a ton, a boatload of subscribers on YouTube. This has helped him immensely if you're just a content person and you are looking to get subscribers on social medias or on YouTube or whatever. Everybody's watching this guy now. When I started watching him on Tuesday, he had a few thousand people watching. Now he's got almost 75 concurrent viewers on YouTube. My question to you is, though, how long do you think this would take you to get a hole-in-one on a golf simulator as this has progressed into this level now where it's been going on forever I guess during the course of the live stream they were contacting the manufacturers of this golf simulator just to make sure you could even get a hole in one how crazy would that have been after 30 hours oh you can't even do it we don't even have that as a part of it and they said it is designed to be a professional simulator where the odds of getting a hole in one on Pebble Beach I think that's what he's playing now is hole seven on Pebble Beach it's a 90 yard hole with the ocean in the background They said it is designed to be as difficult as it would be to do that in real life. So this is now his life. He may live there. If he never leaves, if he sticks to this and never leaves, this may now be his life. His life is living at the golf simulator. But I, like a lot of people now, am invested in how long this is taking, and I just want to see it happen. I can't imagine the celebration. How long do you think it would take you? It could take (laughs) – I saw somebody tweet at him after some update he had about his back hurting – And somebody in Twitter, and I don't even know if this is true, it just made me laugh. It said that Tiger Woods went 18 years, Tiger Woods, between hole-in-ones, you know? (laughs) I just laughed out loud. One of the greatest, the greatest golfer of all time. There is a certain amount of luck, a ton of amount of luck involved in a hole-in-one. My mom hit a hole-in-one. If I don't mention that, she's going to have to call me later. 
when we were when I was 17 or 18, we used to go to a little par three in Plymouth, Wisconsin. I think it was called Arntz at the time. I don't know what it's called now. It's still there. And on a one of those kind of holes, a 75 or 80 yard hole, the last hole on that course, she was able to get a hole in one, and then she had a whole trophy made up, and we all had to say a prayer in front of it before we opened Christmas presents, and it was a, it was a whole deal, it was a whole thing, it still is. But there is a certain amount of skill and a certain amount of luck involved in that, kind of like bowling a 300 game if you're a bowler. I just, I can't imagine how long this is going to go. I want it for him so desperately. We all, I think anybody viewing it does. I just wanted to throw that out there. How long, if you are a golfer, how long do you think it would take you to hit a hole-in-one on a golf simulator? I am fascinated by how long this has taken. All right, let's hop into Packers and Bears. Let's talk first about the injury report. It is long for the Packers. It's like the Martin Luther theses. It's a long list, but there is generally good news as it revolves around some of the key players. It does sound like Christian Watson is going to be on the field on Sunday. We talked about that a bit on Tuesday's podcast, where during the NBC broadcast between the Vikings and Packers, somebody had a sideline report talking about Watson and said, yeah, here he is going through pregame warmups, and he thinks he's close, and he thinks he's going to play. Every indication from everybody after practice on Wednesday seemed to be that he is going to be out there. Hopefully he doesn't re-injure it. You always worry about a guy who his whole thing is size and speed, but primarily speed. That's what always blew us away with the numbers he had heading into the draft that year. The 40-yard dash numbers where he was like a 4.2-something. And we saw it. We saw elite speed once he got healthy last year. How many crossing routes with him and Rodgers did they run where he got in the open field and he can just blow by anybody? Well, when you have hamstring injuries, take it from me, a podcaster. I think we're going to start a whole segment called Take It From Me, a podcaster. And then we talk about things that I have no idea. Being an elite athlete, building a house, you know, things I have no idea about, which is basically everything. Take It From Me, a podcaster. That's actually not a terrible name. We may put that in the tickler file. We may put that in the idea journal. Anyway. You just worry about a speed guy, and can he, if he's not 100% and he gets in the open field, can he rein it in? Because once he hits that X button, you never know when that hamstring's going to crop up. Hamstring issues have been problematic for him in the early part of his career, but it does sound as though he's going to give it a go. Jaden Reed, who had the six-catch, 90-yard, two-touchdown first half against Minnesota before leaving with that rib chest injury, They said everything came out fairly clean on the MRI or x-ray or whatever they did for him. And he said, like we talked about on Tuesday, it's going to be a matter of playing through pain and mind over matter. It sounds like he is going to be on the field. Aaron Jones, still a full go for Sunday. And it does sound like the defense, for the most part, Devondre Campbell is practicing. It's going to be as intact as you would expect heading into Week 18. And in a year where there have been a lot of injuries, there are 22 Packer players on the injury report. But most of the key cogs, the guys that you want out there, it sounds like, are going to be out there for this critical matchup between the Bears and Packers, where if the Packers win, they are in the playoffs. Now let's talk a bit about, you want to talk about Jair? Let's do Jair. Let's talk about Jair. Jair was back in practice on Wednesday. He sounds like he's going to be a good-to-go situation on Sunday. And he sounded, I saw the tweet that Matt Schneidman put out said remorseful or contrite or whatever. I think he was. I think he's also, he knows what's expected of him now. He knows after the suspension and that whole culmination and then the way the defense played without him on Sunday. As we discussed on Tuesday, I believe that reinforced that message of him having to sit there and say, oh, I guess maybe they don't need me. Maybe they don't need me as much as I think they did based on the way the defense and the secondary played against bad quarterbacks, but Justin Jefferson out there. 
And he had a totally different tone. Here is what Jair had to say about meeting with the Packers and Goody and LaFleur and the suspension and everything. Here's what went down. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. All right. Okay, that's that's not that that does sort of fit though. That does sort of fit. Here is let me get all my clips together here. Here is what he said in his first meeting with reporters post suspension. Uh, yeah, I think it was definitely something to learn from. Uh, there were definitely things that I could have improved upon during that week uh, to help with the communication and uh, moving forward. You know, uh, it, that won't happen again. Or something that you could have done. Well, just communicated. I think communication is big and uh, it's easy to talk to my guys, but, you know, talking to anybody else would be a little bit of a challenge. I think what happened with Jair, and we kind of hinted at this heading into suspension weekend, which would have been last Friday's podcast, Jair's always had a quirky, we'll say, personality. He's always had charisma. He's a trash talker like a lot of elite corners are. You think of some of the best corners that I can remember in my lifetime. He's not on the Dion level, but I mean, you think of a guy like Dion Sanders who was as good of a trash talker as he was a player. Jair was taking on that persona. It slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I just think this alter ego maybe, this persona, the lockdown NFL corner persona, as it grew and grew and grew, and he played better and signed the big contract, I just think it got a little out of hand, and he wasn't able to rein in this side side story of this side character and it got a little out of control and that culminated with some of the interviews we've seen this year and ultimately with naming himself a captain and almost botching the coin toss Christmas Eve in Carolina he did sound like somebody who understood the mistake he made and now is ready to lock it in and focus on getting back on the field and playing with his guys and just doing what he loves to do play football he will be on the field on Sunday. I did have a B93 texter say, do you think they consider maybe leaving him off again on Sunday because they played so well against Minnesota? I don't think I'd do that. I don't think so. Talent at the end always wins out, and even with Ballantyne playing well and Valentine playing well and Anthony Johnson Jr. and some of the deep round picks or guys they got via trade that had to play on Sunday, as good as they played, You're paying Jair to be the best corner in the league or close to the best corner in the league. I think he still has the highest contract by any cornerback in the NFL right now. You're paying him that money for a reason. We have seen when he is healthy and motivated and locked in, he is one of the best corners in the NFL. And hopefully we are going to get back to that part of Jair after the suspension, after the way the defense played without him and the meetings with Goody and LaFleur. And if we can get back to that, that's a valuable asset to have on the field, especially against a bare offense and a quarterback in Justin Fields that has been playing better. I thought that was an interesting tidbit, though, that whole Jair interview this week. Speaking of Justin Fields, he had some words for the Packer fans out there. Heading into Packer Bear Week, he fell on the same sort of trash talk that a lot of Bears players have had over the years, taking pot shots at the small market in the small city of Green Bay. Nothing to do there. This could be trash talk from a Bear player to the Packer fan base in any era of this rivalry. Red Grange in 1923, I'm sure, had stuff to say about small town USA, about small town Green Bay. I'm sure Dick Butkus had some pot shots he took. And you go through the years, this is a go-to for Bears players Talking a little trash to Packer fans. Justin Fields said, I'm sure they're going to be at the at the stadium loud on Sunday because there's nothing else to do. Um, you know, their home field. Uh, I know their fans going to be loud because there's not much to do in Green Bay except watch football. But oh. um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a great environment to oh, us. We've never heard that joke in, before. Uh, you know, hopefully 
have a great game and get the double on Sunday. Wow, totally new content there from Justin Fields. Get the crowd stirred up a little bit. Uh, my man, have you ever heard of the National Museum or Railroad Museum? That's something to do. Red Lobster. Did you watch the Reggie White 30 for 30? I finally did. The Red Lobster, Cheese Biscuits, you ever heard of them? Mike Holmgren did make me laugh at that 30 for 30 where they were talking about whining and dining Reggie like all the other teams were during that free agency period. And he talked about him visiting Cleveland and going to this five-star restaurant or New York or whatever. And Holmgren said he was talking to the PR people at Green Bay, trying to figure out where to take him. They just landed on Red Lobster. And I guess Reggie went there and he ordered the catfish. They didn't have it, but the manager at the time said, if you come and play in Green Bay, we will have catfish ready for you every Monday any day that you want. And Holmgren in the 30 for 30 doc said, oh, those cheese, those cheddar biscuits, they stay undefeated. Credit to the cheddar biscuits for bringing Reggie to Green Bay. So there's plenty of stuff to do in Green Bay. Thank you very much, Justin Fields. That was a little narrative coming out of the practices on Wednesday. What else do we have going on? No Pro Bowlers for the Packers. They are one of four teams with no Pro Bowlers. They'll eventually get some guys in as people drop out. And it's not even a game anymore, and I don't think anybody really cares about it, other than contract incentives. The guys that have contract incentives, if they make a Pro Bowl, those are the only players that care about Pro Bowl designations. And I think that's all uh, the only people now. Not even Do we really even care as fans? No Pro Bowlers for the Packers. Jordan Love did get some love. He is the NFC Offensive player of the week, and he didn't even have to play against Joe Barry's defense to get that done. Credit to him. He had the four touchdown, no turnover game, uh, quarterback rating over 125. First time ever in Jordan Love's career that he has gotten that designation, the NFC Offensive Player of the Week, you would think. Hopefully, many more to come for Love over the course of his career. Packers and Bears, it'll be on CBS. That was our trivia question this morning on the B93 Morning Show. What year? And we said it on Tuesday's podcast. And the guy who got it right on the morning show during the trivia segment said, yeah, I heard it on on the podcast. I said going into the question, if you actually sat through the podcast, you already know the answer to this. It is the first Packer-Bear game on CBS since 1993. And I played this on the air. Now, this doesn't do much for me. I started watching football in 92, and I mean, we're using the term watch very loosely there. I think I was just starting to sit down with Dad and watch Packer games a little bit. Not the full game, but a little 20-minute tidbit here or there about all my 7-year-old brain could handle. And so I did not grow up with, really, the NFL on CBS in the 80s and 90s. I grew up with a lot of Packer games on Fox. I think when I started watching football, the two major networks were... Fox had the NFC games, and I want to say NBC had the AFC games. Then NBC lost those rights around the same time they lost the NBA on NBC rights. It went back to CBS, but when it came back to CBS, whatever year that was, whatever year they bought back the rights for NBC, they didn't have the same intro song. I have been told by people older than me that they believe this is the best NFL on whatever network, NFL on Fox, NFL on CBS, they think this is the best intro music. I didn't grow up with this, but if you're about five or six years older than me, this may hit for you. I will say this. That's not the first time I've heard that, but maybe five or six times in my life I've heard that version of the NFL on CBS theme. 
I played it on the air during the trivia segment, and then I found myself the rest of the morning. We do that segment about 6.50 every morning. The rest of the morning, I was humming. It does get you jacked up. So that, for me, that's not what I think of when I think of my early life watching Packer games on whatever network they were on at the time. But I think for people a little bit older than me, they remember fondly that intro package. See, this is the one, 1994, when Fox got the rights. This is what I... This one still hits. They get that big voice guy and then the animatronic robot or whatever. Well, most robots are animatronic, John. The robot, the Fox robot... That's what I grew up with. And then the CBS version, when they got back to CBS, sounds a lot different than that one from the early 90s. I had somebody text the studio then and say that the old versions were all better. They're all, and, I, and I'm getting older, and I'm starting to understand that mentality. Everything was better when you were younger. Everything was better back in the day. That texter, though, said those symphonic intros to that texter, they were all better, he said, back in the day with that NFL one. And then he said he referenced this one, the NBA and NBC. This, to me, is the goaded sports theme. This, this doesn't get better than this. Now, Fox has the rights to this. Patrick Ewing and Reggie Miller, NBA triple header on NBC. I just grew up with that. Have you ever seen, there's a video where John Tesh is doing a live show. John Tesh, Entertainment Tonight, if you don't know that, that is the person responsible for the NBA on NBC theme song. And John Tesh, if you just YouTube, John Tesh explaining NBA on NBC during some live show or a TV taping of some performance, he is explaining to the audience Basically, that that whole thing came to him in a dream. It came to him in a vision, and it just popped into his brain, and he sent himself a voicemail. He was somewhere on the road, and he had to call himself. He had to call his apartment or his condo, wherever John Tesh is living, on the New York skyline somewhere, I'm sure, up in the clouds, up up by the Lord, where John Tesh belongs, up in the clouds. And he called himself and basically did this. Hold on, let me get back to the beginning here. And he just did the mumbled this into his voicemail. And that is how this was born. SNL does a very funny parody of that, too. That is the greatest, though. Fox bought the rights to that for their college basketball broadcast, which I enjoy if I'm watching a Marquette game or a Badger game on Fox on the big network on the Saturday games. I like hearing it. It does make sense to me because it's basketball, but there's just something about it that's a little off because it's Fox and it's college basketball. I don't know that NBA or that NBC is ever going to purchase those rights again, but I want them to. I just want them to just to have that back and have Sunday afternoon triple headers on NBC and have that playing. Let me see if I can find NFL on NBC 1995 probably has it. This would be NFL on NBC 95 through 97. Okay, so they lost it in 97. Yeah, this is it. That can't be it. that i don't remember it that well i don't like that well the packers rarely played on nbc nbc if they have the afc rights back in the day 
they never played over on NBC. There's a lot more crossover now, and I don't know what all goes into that, what rights agreements there are and who chooses what. Like when we were doing, when we were watching the Packer-Viking game on Sunday night, at the end of that game, if you watched it all the way through, you'll remember Mike Tirico, once the game was decided, when they would go to commercial break in the fourth quarter, he would tease, all right, coming up, we're going to have the broadcast times and networks for all of the Week 18 games. They were teasing that as a way to stay in. I'm guessing there's some kind of draft there where the NBC broadcast got the first pick to get the premier game for Sunday Night Football, and they eventually picked the Dolphins and Bills, which I guess I agree with. And then is it a draft after that? Okay, and now CBS gets to have their pick of what they want, and it rotates. I think that's kind of how it works now. But it was much more defined when I was a kid. Every Packer game was on Fox, and every AFC game was on NBC or on CBS. But they will be on CBS on Sunday. It does still, to me, feel a little bit off when they're on CBS. It just feels a little off. And they're going to get the A crew. They're going to have Nance and Tony Romo on the call on Sunday. I still like Romo. Feels like people are a little more bearish on Romo. Also kind of feels like Romo doesn't love this job as much as he did year one. Year one, everybody loved Romo. He was predicting plays. He was affable. He was having a good time, ribbing with Nance back and forth. It almost kind of felt like John Madden. I remember saying that on the air that he has kind of a Madden feel to him where he's just a likable personality. He's loose. He's having a good time. As the years have gone by, I just think he, if it's not a game that gets him going and in broadcasting, that's not always the case where you get to do a game and you get paid for it, but you're not necessarily excited to do that. I think that's played a little bit into it where they have ended up with at the end of the year some games that are nothing burgers and that he seems disinterested in those. He's come back. He's a bit resurgent this year. But it'll be Nance and Romo on the call on CBS. It just it, it just always does feel a little off to me just because growing up, every Packer game was on Fox. When they're on CBS and they've been more recently, it feels just a little, yeah, not a little uncomfortable. It's like when you use the bathroom at a hotel. When you take a dump at a hotel, it's fine. <laughs> it's good. It's serviceable. It's got a good flush. It's comfortable. But it's not quite like the home commode, is it? That's how I feel. That's how I would equate watching a game on CBS. It's like taking a dump in a hotel bathroom. Totally fine. Nothing. No real reason to dislike it. But you just feel a little bit off. You don't feel quite as comfortable as on the home territory. <laughs> All right. Well, we need to change the topic now, I think, because of that. Packers are, depending on what book you look at, they are anywhere from three to three and a half to four point favorites heading into Sunday. And yes, if they win, they will be the seventh seed. And there's the potential for them to be the sixth seed. The Rams and Niners factor into that. If the Rams lose to the Niners and who knows who's playing in these games, we're going to make some picks, but this is a dangerous week to make picks because what teams are invested, what teams already know their playoff destiny Who's playing where? What quarterback is starting? Are teams going to pull their guys after a half? It's a very, there's a lot of landmines if you're gambling this week. But I believe the Niners are going with mostly backups. They have the one seed locked up. The Rams know they have a playoff spot, and they know they'll be on the road, so there's not a lot to gain. They are starting Carson Wentz in San Francisco on Sunday, who I didn't even know was in the league anymore. I thought Carson Wentz was gone. He will make the start for the Rams. If the Rams lose that game, if they lose to the Niners in San Francisco with Carson Wentz starting, which feels like that's a possibility, a strong possibility, maybe, and the Packers do win, the Packers then not only are in the playoffs, they would be the sixth seed, and it feels like in all likelihood they would take on the Lions, which I don't mind. We talked about this on Tuesday's podcast. There are matchups that you have got to win. I know, get it. I get it. Don't get ahead of yourself, John. <laughs> this is me talking in the mirror. I get it. You got to win. It's going to be a tough game. It's a rivalry game. You have to win the game on Sunday 
to get in. But when you look at these potential matchups, they would probably then either be going to Dallas. feels like Dallas is going to easily beat the Commanders, and that would lock in the two seed for Dallas. And if you're the seven seed, that's where you'd be going. But they they play well at home, but they're not unbeatable. And if you end up as the six seed, you obviously know Detroit. Detroit spanked the Packers at Lambeau early this year. Packers went right back into Detroit and spanked them in front of their home crowd on Thanksgiving Day. And it's a division rivalry. You know what you're getting into there. The Packers aren't going to be favored if they make the playoffs in any game, but I don't know that I'm terrified of those two matchups. Now, if they were going to San Francisco, then I would think, yeah, they could lose that game by three or four touchdowns. I don't get that feeling of going to Dallas or Detroit. 325 kickoff on Sunday. Bears don't have much to play for other than being a spoiler. I've read and listened to some podcasts, and I've read some articles where some Bears fans are putting the Justin Fields future on this game Justin Fields has been playing a lot better. They know they've got Carolina's pick in the draft, in the upcoming draft, so they're going to have the number one overall pick, and then wherever they are right now is the 10 or 11. The top two prospects that you would think are going to go one and two in the draft are Caleb Williams, quarterback from USC, and Drake May, quarterback from North Carolina. Early in the year, as it looked like Carolina was going to get that pick, which they then have to hand off to the Bears, early in the Bears season with the way they were playing, it felt like a no-brainer that they were going to take Caleb Williams or Drake May. They'd cut bait on Justin Fields, and they'd basically start over again. Well, the team has been playing better. They are, what, 7-9 and nine going into Sunday. Fields has been playing better. It sounds like Eberflus's job is safe, and when it looked like he was going to be fired midway through the year. And I would say most Bears fans that I know, and we've got a bunch of them here in the building, are comfortable with giving Justin Fields a contract extension and him being the guy and then either taking somebody else at number one or trading that number one overall pick, moving back a few picks and getting maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. and then getting more draft capital for that number one pick. I have read some articles, though, where some Bears fans are putting Justin Fields' future on this game, where if Justin Fields can go into Green Bay and he can deny the Packers a playoff spot and finally get a nice spoiler win for the Bears over the Packers, that the Packers have just dominated Chicago over the course of the last 25, 30 years, that that would be that would seal the deal, where they're already kind of thinking that he's going to be the guy. But if he does this, if they end the year at 8-9 and nine and the final game is a win in Green Bay and that shuts the door on a Green Bay playoff opportunity – Feels like then that gets them to the finish line. Some Bears fans. Some Bears fans, regardless of what happens on Sunday, are already there and they like fields and they want to do something different with the draft capital they're going to have. There are some that still feel like they're maybe on the fence, but if fields can do this and perform well, then maybe he is going to be the guy going forward. It's going to be a lot of fun, and by fun, I mean stressful, on Sunday afternoon at Lambeau Field. We'll make some picks and go over some other NFL stuff coming up here in a second. Let's talk about the Bucks. The Bucs have a Pacers problem. I didn't think that that was the case. Remember, a few podcasts ago, they lost the first two games of the year to Indiana by two points in Indiana. Then they lost in Vegas, where the hungover Bucks just didn't have it in a 4 p.m. start time in Vegas. Then the Pacers came to Milwaukee, and that was game ball gate. That's where Giannis dropped 64. They couldn't stop him, and then the whole fracas with the game ball at the end of it, and Tyrese Halliburton and Turner and the assistant coaches and all that stuff. And then after that, we knew there were two more games left. And remember I said, I can't wait to watch these two games because of the enhanced rivalry now. There's this budding rivalry between these two teams, a young upstart team and a team that feels like it's a championship caliber team that just won a title a few years ago. Both are in the central division. I know nobody really cares about the actual division breakdown in the NBA. It's all about where your standing is in the conference. But these would be division rivals. When I was a kid, it felt like that was still more important. 
I remember when I was a real young buck and we were getting the USA Today every day and my dad would leave the sports page out for me every morning. Now when you go on the NBA standings page on ESPN, it basically just gives you the conference standings because ultimately that's all that matters. When I was a kid, and even if you would go to ESPN.com back in 97 or 98, but in the sports page, they would still have it broken down by division. And then if you went to ESPN.com in 1998, up until about February, if you clicked on standings, it would still give you the division standings. And then around February, when you would get closer to the playoffs and it mattering more where your standing is in the conference, then they'd switch it. And then when you click on standings, then it would be the conference standings. Now it's always just the conference standings. But these two teams are and were central division rivals. The Bucs still have a pretty firm lead at 24-10. and 10. Pacers are 19-14 and 14 after that win last night. But I remember on the podcast, after Giannis dropped 64, we said... All right, this is why we're not afraid of this team, because ultimately they can't defend Giannis. They have no interior defensive presence. And over the course of a seven-game series, the Bucs will wear them down. Remember, you can go into the podcast archives if you want. I think that's basically exactly what I said. John, you ignorant slut. (laughs) You got it wrong again. In the two subsequent matchups, New Year's Day in Milwaukee, where the Bucs had a 15-point lead late third quarter and watched that evaporate. And then at Indiana on Wednesday... Pacers have ramped up their D. Like their name indicates, they play with pace. We've talked about that. They're the fastest team in the league. The Bucs are still one of the older teams in the league and just don't seem to want to run or be able to run with this Pacer team. Pacers have a chip on their shoulder. They've got something to prove, and they are playing like that. They just kind of played like they wanted it more over the last couple days. Bucks lost that lead at home on Monday and then couldn't hit a shot in the fourth quarter, and last night it was the third quarter. It was a tie game at halftime. Pacers come out and seize control, outscore the Bucks 47 to 29 in the third quarter, letting up allowing 47 points in a quarter. Disgusting defense. That flipped the game and the Bucks could never quite get back in it. Dame again was bad. He had a bad shooting day. He's had three or four bad shooting days in a row. I did read some commentary on Twitter that tried to calm down Bucks fans who were jumping off a ledge because of how poorly they played against the Pacers and how bad the defense looked. And some of the folks on Bucks Twitter were saying, okay, not great. Not great that we lost 4 or 5 to Indiana. That's not ideal. But if Dame even has a regular shooting game, if Dame even shoots 40% in those games or 45% in those games, they probably win at least the Monday game and maybe last night's game as well. You assume that these shooting woes that we're in the middle of right now for Dame over this three or four or five game stretch where he's shooting about 30% and 18% from beyond the arc – You assume there is a market correction coming. Just like before that run, he was on fire. I think in the month of December, he shot 47% from the field and 43% from beyond the arc. But he had a run of a week or two there where he was shooting way above even that, 50-plus percent, 60% from beyond the arc. At some point, he is going to find his shot again. And if it's in a matchup with Indiana like it was on Monday or Wednesday, you feel like Monday would probably have been a win assuming he can hit some shots late third quarter and in that fourth quarter when they lost control of the game. And then you'd figure they'd be in a tighter game on Wednesday. Now, that didn't happen, but if there is a playoff matchup between these two teams and that intensity ratchets up, hopefully Dame will see Dame time and will see playoff Dame. And if you have that, you should be able to get by this team. I am much more concerned now, though, on January 4th than I was whenever that was, December 22nd or whenever that podcast was, where I very confidently said after that 64-point game, they will take care of this team in five or six games in a best of seven. 
Now, if these two teams match up in the playoffs, and they're not going to play again in the regular season, they've already played five times. And you normally only play each other four times, but they had that extra game with the in-season tournament. Now, if these two teams do match up in a 3-6 matchup in the first round or a 4 whatever it would be in the second round, then that you know that's a storyline going in, that the Pacers think they have the Bucks number. The Pacers believe they can beat this team. They play with speed. They've got guys that can knock down shots. Their bench is very good. The Bucks should get better with their bench, too, when Jay Crowder comes back. That's another element that they've had missing right now. I don't feel as confident. I don't. Right now, maybe I'll feel differently. Maybe they beat the breaks up of San Antonio tonight, which they should on national TV, even though it's a back-to-back. And they win eight of their next ten, and we get to February and March, and these games against Indiana are a distant memory. Right now, though, if that becomes a playoff matchup, it is certainly something as a Bucks fan that you have to be concerned about. Not only the way that they lost these games, but the way Indiana handled their business. Giannis did make me laugh at the end of the game yesterday. They asked him in the postgame presser, are you worried about this? Are you worried about Indiana? Do you think about how they have now won four or five against you this year? And he had a very freaky Giannis answer. You, you have that, uh, and you think about it. Now when you go back home, and you sleep, and you wake up, you think about it. Now when you go back and uh, work out, you think about it. You know, when you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. <laughs> you know, um, but at the end of the day, it's good because now it gives us time to fix things. He's always about thinking it. about freaky. You know, when you're about to get freaky at night, you think about it. Stay on brand, baby. <laughs> That's just staying on brand for Giannis. It is, though, as a Bucks fan, the way they've played in these games, and you know how young and talented and fast that Pacer team is, if they do meet in the playoffs, I'm not sure I'm going to have a feeling of, okay, we're good to go here like you would in a first or second round matchup most years. We should be all right. It's going to be a bit more tense if these two teams meet up down the road. Not ideal. Bucks are back on the floor tonight. They are in San Antonio. It is Wemby's birthday. He didn't play when they played in Milwaukee. I'm not sure if he's playing tonight. 20 years old today. Seven foot six. Victor Wembignana. It's on national TV on TNT. We'll see if Chuck has any disparaging words for the Bucks, given the way they played on Monday and Wednesday. Or maybe he'll say something that will encourage us as Bucks fans. That is tonight, and then they're in Houston, a young upstart Houston team. Houston kind of like the Western Conference version of the Pacers, where they have a ton of young talent and a new coach there. They're playing very well, over 500. Bucks beat them in Milwaukee a few weeks ago. Now they have the rematch in Houston. That will be on Saturday before they finally return home early next week. Bucks are 24-10 and 10 with that loss. Still a game better than they were 34 games into last year, so we don't have to freak out. It's just it is concerning when you get this young team and a team now that you have kind of a subplot with, with the game ball and with the in-season tournament, and you're not able to get a win in either game, especially one at home. Had they won on Monday and then you lose last night, even though you'd lose the season series there 3-2, you feel better. It's the 4-1 to one that really irks you if you're a Bucks fan. All right, we have anything else we want to hit on before picks? Oh, we can talk a little college hoops. We've got both teams in action on Saturday. I think they're both early, too. Marquette, the seventh-ranked team in the country. They will be at 11 a.m. at Seton Hall. Any road game is a tough road game. Marquette's 11-3, and 2-1 in the Big East. Seton Hall, 9-5, 2-1 in the Big East. So it's a tough place to play for Marquette over the years. 11 a.m. tip time on Saturday. Badgers got to win this week at home against Iowa. How many McCaffreys are there for Iowa? What is what is the deal there? There are. It's like the Watts. There's a new McCaffrey there every year. Iowa, not what they were, though. Fran McCaffrey still has the best mean mug in college basketball. They came into whatever day it was, Tuesday's game. I think Iowa was already 0-2 in conference. And the Badgers put them to 0-3. Badgers score 83. They're scoring points. It's early in the year. 
They are 10 and 3, 13 games into the year, 10 and 3, 2 and 0 in conference though. And they seem to have a much better offensive rhythm. A.J. Storr has changed their dynamic offensively. He is kind of like a Johnny Davis. He's a sophomore transfer from St. John's. In the offseason, we were excited to get a guy like that. They've needed a guy like that that can create his own shot, that doesn't have to be in that motion offense for 32 seconds of a 35-second shot clock. If you need a shot, he can make one for himself. He can hit from three. He can hit mid-range. He can get to the rim. And his game has developed. One concern was, would A.J. Storr be able to play defense to the level that will keep him on the floor? Shout out Connor Asijin. Man, it doesn't look like he's going to play at all this year. He just can't He can't stay in front of anybody defensively. Anytime they put him in there. I know we've had this discussion of when you're playing a lesser team that you wouldn't have done this against Iowa. But when you played Chicago State, could you have left him in there for four or five or six minutes to see if he'll figure it out? It is a shame with how good of a shooter he is, and he proved that in his freshman campaign last year. He just can't. He can't stop anything. He can't stop a brick wall right now. And he will, I guess, just ride the bench until he can prove something in practice. It's just amazing that a guy that got all, didn't he get all freshman conference honors last year? And he can't even buy a minute right now. But they have gotten A.J. Storr to be at least serviceable defensively to play him 25-plus, 30-plus minutes a night. They had that one play on Tuesday with the alley-oop off the backboard between him and Chucky Hepburn. That's not a play you see a lot at the Cole Center where it was a two-on-one, and you could kind of see what was on Chucky's mind if you were watching the game and thought, oh, they might be able to do something fun here. And Chucky lobs it off the backboard, and A.J. Storr came over and dunked on somebody. The still shot from behind the backboard of all of the older Wisconsin fans with their mouths agape. What is what is this sorcery? Are they allowed to do that? <laughs> Just It's not something you see a lot of. During the Decker run where he brought some athleticism to the team, not so much Frank Kaminsky, but they had some guys on those squads. Caning was a pretty good athlete. You saw more of that during those 2014-2015 seasons. But over the course of however many years of Badger basketball, you don't see a lot of those type of plays. You don't see a lot of Sports Center top 10. That was the number two play on the Sports Center top 10 that night. You don't see a lot of that. That was well executed by Hepburn and AJ Storr. But they're scoring. They had on the broadcast on Tuesday 75 ish points a game, which is top three all time for the Badgers. Again, it's early, it's a small sample size. We'll see how they do against teams like Illinois or Purdue. It's encouraging, though. 10-3, and 2-0, and 21st-ranked Badgers take on a very good Nebraska team. Not ranked yet, but if they get a win on Saturday, they will be. Nebraska 12-2, and 2-1 in the Big Ten. I would think the Badgers will be a handful of points favored. Three, three and a half points. 115 on Big Ten Network on Saturday. Okay, let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 on anything... You take it. That's a cool G, Daddy. Oh, now you got to let it ride. I remembered to put it in. We forgot it, I guess, again on whatever day. Friday's podcast last week. I got an email about that. That's the second or third time we've done that. We've forgotten the gambling intro. I'm blaming my fever brain. I had DayQuil brain, fever brain, coughing brain. My producer fell asleep at the wheel. God, it's hard to find a good producer these days. We are giving ourselves, as I said on Tuesday, I'm giving myself the college football picks in addition to the one and two in the NFL last week. So we are 49, 35, and five. 14 units up. 49, 35, and five. As I said, however many minutes ago, gambling on week 18 in the NFL is a fool's errand. Luckily for everybody out there, I am a fool. You just don't know who's playing, who has what to play for. I mean, you kind of know, but. You also never know when a team, if they get down or they find out that another game going on is going their way. So, okay, maybe we'll rest everybody in the second half. We've got Saturday games. I am going to take a Saturday game. 
The Steelers are in Baltimore. That is a blood rivalry. It is a 3.30 kickoff. The Ravens, we know, are the number one seed. And they have nothing to play for, and they're resting everybody. Tyler Huntley's going to start a quarterback. Lamar's not playing. Steelers have everything to play for. If the Steelers win this game, they put themselves in a spot where they could get a playoff spot. They also put pressure on the Bills then. If the Steelers win this, it's my understanding that that's the only chip that has to fall into place for the Bills and Dolphins Sunday night football where if the Bills win that game, they will be the two seed. If Pittsburgh wins on Saturday, though, and the Bills lose Sunday night, they're out. From the two seed, you're either two seed or out. Crazy. But because the Ravens are resting everybody and because the Steelers need it so much and that offense looks reinvigorated with Mason Rudolph, never thought I'd say those words, but here we are. Mason Rudolph appears to have jump-started that offense. I will take the Steelers on the road favorites because the Ravens aren't playing anybody. Minus three and a half in Baltimore. The other game on Saturday, I'm not putting money on it, but the Texans and Colts, that also has a ton on the line in terms of playoffs. The Colts right now would be the last team in. And each of these teams have a chance to win the AFC South if the Jaguars lose. But the Texans and Colts both 9-7 and seven heading into that matchup in Indy 7-15 on Saturday night. What else is going on in the NFL? I'm going to take Tampa. This is another hedge. This is another hedge against my NFC South Saints championship bet. We'll have to go back and look. I think we went 4-2 and two on our futures picks. We had the Packers over. I forgot to mention that on Tuesday. That win put the Packer over. Packers were seven and a half season win total. We hit that with the eighth win in Minnesota on Sunday night. We cashed that ticket. We had the Cowboys over 11 and a half wins. They're already at 12. We cashed that ticket. I had the Browns over nine and a half wins. We cashed that ticket. We lost on the Titans. We had them over seven and a half unless they can win three games on Sunday. That's going to be dead. And we also had the Raiders under six and a half. Remember, I said they could be the worst team in the NFL. They're going to win like seven or eight games. We lost that, but we also cashed the Jordan Love passing yards future. And we'll see if we can get that Saints future to win the NFC South. The Saints have to win. They are at home against the Falcons, noon kickoff. And then they need the Buccaneers to lose at Carolina. Two win Carolina doesn't seem likely. So we are going to hedge a little bit. I am going to take Tampa minus three and a half at Carolina. If Tampa loses that, now I could get middled here. If Tampa only wins by three, then I'm a double loser. Then I lose the Buccaneers bet on the spread in that game, and I lose the NFC South bet. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Say a prayer. My thinking there is, like we talked about last week, if I win the Tampa bet, that means they win the division, so I lose the Saints futures bet, but then I'll make some of my money back by betting on Tampa, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm hedging. Minus three and a half at Carolina. And then this is just a dumb bet, but I think the Patriots, for whatever reason... They're playing for Bill Belichick. I don't know what's going to happen with that team at the end of this year. There are rumors that Belichick is going to be gone and going somewhere else. There are rumors that they're just going to try to strip him of his GM role like they did with Mike Sherman back in the day. Not to compare Bill Belichick and Mike Sherman, but, you know, Packers did that at one point with their head coach, who was a head coach-GM combo. Will they just take his GM role away and then he stays honest, coach? Whatever it ends up happening with Belichick, and he's clearly just trying to chase down Don Shula's record right now for most wins as a head coach, and he's still like 30 away. His team's playing for him. They really are. They hung in that Bills game despite a three-pick day from Bailey Zappi. They only won or lost that by, what, six points? And they won the week before. They are at home against the Jets. There is some history there with Belichick and the Jets, of course. The one day he was the Jets coach for one day and then left and went back to New England. I just think the Patriots are going to win this game. It just seems like that locker room is playing for Belichick. It's at home. It's against a rival. It's against a team that's also trying to lose and get a better draft pick. I don't know. I'm going with the Patriots here. I don't think I'm going to watch any second of this game. 
Patriots are minus two at home against the Jets, so we'll take that as well. What are the other important games this weekend? If the Cowboys win in Washington, they will get the two seed. That's a 325 kickoff on Sunday. And then the other big one, I'm not going to touch it gambling-wise. I don't know what to make of this. Bills in Miami. Like we said, the AFC East title is on the line. I do have a future on the Bills to win the AFC East. I put it down three weeks ago at plus 280. So I would like to see them win. Should I hedge then and bet on the Dolphins? Dolphins looked horrific against Baltimore last week, so it's hard to figure out where they stand going into that game. Dolphins are in regardless. If they lose on Sunday, it's not like the Bills. If they lose, the Dolphins will be the sixth seed. They are in the playoffs. It's just a matter of will they be a wildcard team or a division championship team. I think I'm staying away from it. That's probably the biggest game of the week if you're not a Packer fan or a Packer Bear fan. Bills at Dolphins on Sunday night football. Yeah, you watch, like we said, the Rams, if they lose, the Packers, if they win, could then move up to the sixth seed. And then there's just a lot of nothing burger games. Broncos taking on the Raiders in Las Vegas. Jaguars, if they win, they'll win the AFC South. They're in Tennessee. That's a noon kickoff on Sunday as well. And the Lions, I guess, have something to play for. They're at home against Minnesota. Minnesota is still in the conversation for a wild card. They're going to start Nick Mullins. Lions, if they win and the Cowboys lose, I think they can still get the two seed. doesn't feel likely that the Cowboys are going to lose in Washington. But the Lions won't know that. The Lions will not know that until the 3 o'clock slate. So they're, they'll have something to play for at noon, and then that Commander-Cowboy game is at 325. So there's some games with, with some stakes on Sunday and some big ones. That'll do it for us here on your Thursday. I have off tomorrow. We'll come back on Monday. Let's hope for a Victory Monday playoff edition, shall we? We'll be discussing whatever happens in the Packer-Bear game. We'll talk about the Bucks weekend as well, and hopefully we're getting set up for a wild-card weekend showdown with somebody with Dallas or probably Detroit. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then. 